everyone. Welcome to episode 114 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we were just saying that the last two weeks feel like they've been kind of like a year. Yes. For me, it's because I moved. And I moved into three different places. (laughs) So it was kind of an epic move. And I was so tired at the end. I mean, like, complete drain I could not move yeah which was great for my reading life (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot to report yes excellent (laughs) yeah I tell you even the last three days can feel like a year boy time is so bizarre it feels like it's going by so fast yet so slow at the same time it's really mind-blowing yeah it's strange I know I heard someone someone smart I can't remember who it was who was reporting that Time is changed now because we don't have as many things on our calendars. So we're looking at our days differently and experiencing life differently. I don't know. I just know that it seems like forever since I've spoken to you or seen you. And so I'm so happy to be here talking with you today. <laughs> Same here. I miss you. You were gone, actually. Not only did Emily move, she also took off outside of uh, Connecticut. I almost said Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Was that a premonition? <laughs> yeah, really. Thinking about it. No. I mean, one of the things we decided to do was the gentleman caller and I decided to plan a vacation. His favorite place to go is Cape Cod. And it's really hard to make a decision with COVID right now about how to do things, how to be COVID safe. We're committed to mask wearing and really to limiting exposure mm-hmm. as much as possible. And so we did make the commitment to go because we can drive, you know, one, you fill up your car with gas, you get there in one go. Everything we like to do is outside. Massachusetts is a state where it's required that you wear masks. So that feels good. And we really kept to ourselves. We packed all our food. We didn't eat out. We picked up a couple curbside bags of pastries. But ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and cooked at home. And, you know, it was a lovely time away. That's great. You know, I I know a lot of people are torn about how to to get away if they want to get away. And I think that just sounds like the safest way to do it is to, like you said, drive somewhere that's a tank of gas so you don't have to stop. And I know our listeners wear masks because I see them on social media talking about it and sometimes talking about it in terms of like, am I I crazy? Because I'm seeing pictures of all these people at parties and not wearing masks and hugging and not wearing masks. And I know, like you said, we're committed to mask wearing and we just wanted to toss it out there to our listeners that you are not crazy for wearing a mask. Keep wearing a mask. I know it's different in different states. I, I do see some People on social media talking about how afraid they are that in other states they go into stores and no one's wearing a mask. It is different all over the country and all over the world. We know that, but we just want to be positive mask wearers. And yes, you're not alone. We are very mask positive here. (laughs) Masks, witchcraft, you know. Right. All of those important (laughs) things in life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you guys got away and I'm glad you did get to Cape Cod. I know how important that is for the gentleman caller's annual peace of mind. Yes, for his overall constitution. We were talking about how he's been going there since he was a little boy, you know, and it's just his favorite place. And you can see it when he's there. I mean, he just shares the enthusiasm and he loves to fish. And, you know, we both love to walk on the beach. So it was lovely. We did see whales. Cool. 
from sitting on the beach, which is like a bucket list thing for me. I have taken my kids on so many whale watching cruises to not see any whales. So it was hilarious to me that we were just sitting there and bam, there they were. So we got to see that twice and it was really lovely. That's so right. it was, it was great. And I did tons of reading. So let's, let's talk dive about in. Yeah. So currently reading, I believe we're both currently reading the same thing. We are. We're reading Celestial Bodies by Joka Aharti. This is our read-along, our upcoming read-along. Um, we'll be talking about it. Let's see. When will we be talking about it? I wrote it down here. On November 10th. Yeah, November, November 10th. 10th, I believe. Yeah, that's like um, episode 116 or something you said, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there is a very active Goodreads thread about celestial bodies. People are having a hard time with all the characters. There is a family chart in the front of the book. Which is um, also confusing. It's not like your standard, really straightforward family chart or, or character chart because there are thick lines and thin lines. So that wasn't very helpful for me when I first started reading. But now that I'm a little bit more into the book, it is making a little bit more sense or it kind of is a bit of a reminder. Um, but my advice for a book like this is to just keep reading. Don't worry about it not making sense or not understanding who is who because it'll eventually hopefully come together. I think that's great advice. And mm -hmm. I started listening to the audio and um, I love the narrator. And I, as soon as names start to be prattled off, I just have to, you know, take a deep breath and go with the storyline. And it's getting mixed reviews, I think, from our readers. Mm. But I'm really excited to be listening to the audio and reading it. I'm doing both, I should say. Okay, yeah, I'm reading it now and, and earlier than I normally would start a read along book. But I plan on listening to the audio then as well, because I do want to hear the names pronounced. And um, does the narrator do different voices? How How is that handled? I'm not that far in yet. Okay. I'm All not right. that far in. I literally just started it. Um, and, and I think I just got through the introduction okay. or the foreword or, you know, something right. like that. I'm loving parts of it. I'm loving some of the characters. Like, I really feel like the author, you know, gets me right into the room with some of the people or into the minds or the hearts of some of the characters and other characters are just, they're, they're not sticking with me. So that's interesting. And there are different fonts. So there are two different fonts in the book. So that's oh, a different thing too. Yeah. So like you get these differences in emotions and feeling and, and even down to the font level, which is kind of cool. That is cool. So I'm interested now to get back to the audio. Um, I'm going to start doing a lot more driving so I plan to really dig into it this week, yeah, you know, as yeah. I'm driving. So I'm, I'm excited to talk more about it as we both dig into it further. I'm also reading A Stranger at the Door by Jason Pinter. This is the second book in the Rachel Martin thriller. I'm sorry, Rachel Marin thriller series. This comes out on January 12th of 21. But the first book is called Hideaway and is available. If you're interested in this series, I highly recommend you start with the first one just because I'm anal like that and also because there's only one other and this one is the second isn't out yet. This is the one that I took with me on vacation that I really wanted to read but had some others that were queued up before it. So on the last day of vacation, I started it and then it was kind of like, oh no, I need another few days of vacation. <laughs> Because I have a very busy work week, but I'm really enjoying it. And Jason Pinter has the imprint Polis Books. 
And he is the one that, what's the right word? Published. Published would be a good word. <laughs> Published Heather Harper Ellett's book, Ain't Nobody Nobody. Yeah, that we both love yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a thriller, which isn't usually in my wheelhouse. And I have been having weird dreams since I started it. Hmm. So, you know, maybe this is why I usually read about cupcakes instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a softie. Could be. <laughs> Let's just jump into what you've just read. I think we have both just read a ton. Indeed. Because you were on vacation and I was kind of not feeling all that great for a couple days. So I was in bad reading, which was kind of wonderful once I realized I wasn't really getting sick. Right, exactly. Once you just feigned illness like you were in fourth grade again, so you could just stay in bed and read. Oh my God, that is so funny. I remember in when I was in grade school, I would sometimes not go to school because my parents would get up and leave for work and I was, you know, on my own to get dressed and go. I would sometimes call my mom at like 2.30 in the afternoon and say, Mom, I overslept. I just got up. (laughs) (laughs) When, of course, I'd been up all day, you know, messing around, reading or playing with my Legos. And having, you know, as the youngest, I can vividly remember having the house to myself sometimes. It was such a rarity, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So that's probably what you were doing was just running around the house with glee, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was such freedom, you know? I mean, there was no, I walked to school, so there was no bus driver to get in my business. That was right. nice. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, I finished The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. This book was is not a book that would typically be in my wheelhouse, Um, It was sent to the Book Cougars by Tor Books, and the cover just caught my eye, and then I started to read about it and thought I would give it a try. And it was during my move where I was having trouble concentrating anyway, so it took me into a whole other world and realm. Not sci-fi. I think I mentioned when I was talking about it as a currently reading when I had just started it that it was sci-fi. I would put this more in the realm of um, fantasy time travel, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's about this woman, Adeline, who makes a deal with the devil. She lives in a very small town and she is queued up to be married to a man that she doesn't know. And it's literally her wedding day. She runs away from her wedding. She dreams of seeing the world and not living the life that's been sketched out for her. So she makes a deal with the devil to you know, get out of this situation. But he adds his own little twist, which is you will live forever, but nobody will be able to remember you. Wow. So she she can meet someone like you will see her, but then you don't remember her. So she keeps meeting the same people and over and over again, they don't know who she is until she meets someone who does remember her. And I'm not going to spoil why he can. But it's it's really interesting and it has it stretches across a, a long period of time because she's lived for 300 years. But what she figures out is that she can kind of trick the devil and this situation because artists who she meets along the way do renderings of her as kind of this mysterious muse because mm-hmm. they don't remember who she is. So that's a really cool thread. So different parts of the book have an introduction where it's a different artist and the rendering of her that they do. And she has these seven freckles on her face. So each, you know, that's a thread that's carried through the book. 
So I I really enjoyed it. I did watch an, just an interview with her where she talked about um, it took her 10 years to write this book. She's she's prolific. She's written other books and series. But part of the premise of this was her grandmother was experiencing dementia and was forgetting her mother, V.E. Schwab's mother. And she found that so sad. And so she wanted to explore this idea of what it would be like for people not to remember you. So that's part of the, you know, impetus behind it. She also said it's a reverse Peter Pan story. Mm. But I have to say, I don't know the story of Peter Pan very well. So that didn't really resonate with me for but for any reader who reads this and does know that story, maybe that would make sense. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I, I'm not totally familiar with Peter Pan either. Other yeah. than like, isn't it about a boy who didn't want to grow up? Right. You know, and that's that... not yeah, that's but I think there's something like the opening scene of Peter Pan. He can't remember something, maybe. So maybe that's what it is. Peter Pan can't remember things, whereas Adeline can remember everything, but people don't remember her. So maybe that's what she meant. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. It's it's long and kind of epic. And it was the perfect read for me at the time. Again, it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Now, that's an author I haven't read yet that I see a lot of people uh, praising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She has quite a following. Well, that is a good segue to the one of the books I just finished, which I talked about last episode is currently reading, I believe, Pine by Francine Toon, which is a new book. I don't think it's out in the U.S. yet. I ordered it uh, directly from the U.K., And this is a bit of a horror novel, horror mystery. It's set in northern Scotland, in rural northern Scotland. And it's a story of a young girl and her dad who are living alone. The mom took off years ago, disappeared. And there's suspicion about the father, the husband, of course, because they're quite often the ones who did it. And this girl, I think she's 10 or 11, she can see this person and she sees her dad interacting with this person and they even take her home in the pickup truck and she's in the house, but then her dad has no memory of it. And then she sees the person again in the woods and her friend is the one, like you could see, she could tell the friend saw the person, but then moments later, he's like, what, what are you talking about? So again, it's somebody that only certain people can see is is part of the story. It also deals with alcoholism and expectations that we have of people who we've known for a long time. There's a lot of great Scottish words that I had to stop and look up. And and that's one of the joys of reading a book from another culture, uh, especially another English-speaking culture, because there's... It's still English, but it's different. So some yeah. of the things was like, it was a foosty kitchen, tatty holiday, guising is what they call dressing up for Halloween. So it starts on Halloween and with the kids going guising, uh, which, you know, disguising, I guess, uh, right. yeah. makes sense. One of the neat things, too, is that uh, Gaelic for owl is basically a night hag. Hmm. So I kind of, I like that reclaiming the word hag yeah (laughs) um and it's a really a good read but i felt like it could have been a little bit 
stronger towards the end. Mm, you know, it wrapped yeah. up a little too quickly and neatly for my liking. But I did enjoy it very much. Nice. So one of those novels where you don't really know what's going on, you kind of can you kind of think some things might be going on, but then it's taken in a different direction. Um, and in the end, you don't really necessarily know what's going on. Hmm. No. Again, that's Pine by Francine Toon. And I finished The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls by Ursula Heggie. For those of you who recognize that name, she wrote Stones from the River, which was a really popular book in its day. This is a new book that just came out this year from her. It takes place in Germany in a town called Nordstrand. The Ludwig Zirkus has just come to town. So everyone in the town has been to the Zirkus. And it's um, the town is right by the Nord Sea. And they're standing out um, enjoying the sea. And the main character, Lottie, is there with her, or maybe it's Loti. I don't know how to say it in German. But she's standing there with her new baby on her hip and her three children around her. And a hundred-year wave comes and sweeps her three children out to sea. Wow. And they perish. Yeah. This is the very opening scene. So I'm not, you know, this is not spoiler heavy. And then the book takes place from the point of view of three different characters. This woman who's lost her children and is grieving. Another young girl who's 11. Her name is Tilly. And she's at the St. Margaret's Home for Pregnant Girls because she's been impregnated at the age of 11. And this is a place with nuns where the children give birth. And then either the children, the babies are raised there as orphans, I'm using quotes, or they're adopted. Tilly's son is taken from her right away and adopted. And she forms a relationship with Loti, who um, has this child, the one who was on her hip, Willem, who she's grieving the loss of her other three children and finding it difficult to be a mother. And so Tilly steps in because it fills the void for her, for her missing son. Mm. And then another woman, Sabine, who's a seamstress for the Zirkus, and has a daughter who's an adult but is developmentally delayed. So these are the main cast of characters. One of the threads is about how men often abandon their children. It's not uncommon, sadly, and this is definitely one of the themes of this book, including the father of the children who have perished. He has a hard time staying with um, Lota and her their son, Willem. Mm. This book reminded me so much of an experience I had when I was visiting Ireland. I was it was I did a walking tour of Ireland with my daughter and some friends. It was an amazing experience because I love the water so much and Ireland is an island. So mm-hmm. we were walking on or near water the whole time and we got to our very last place and it was um, at this beautiful location. We splurged and had someone who would take our bags for shuttle our bags, which to me seemed like this huge splurge. And then I thought like, well, we walked five miles today. It's not like they drove it hours, you know, (laughs) but anyway, so we didn't have to hump our bags. So we would arrive at these inns and there would be our bags. And, And one of the things I loved about Ireland too, is they offer you tea no matter what time of day it is. And I'm a tea, not a coffee drinker. So I found that to be just pure heaven. So we arrive at this beautiful inn, it's a, an older woman and she offers us tea and she has quite a, a difficult gait, like a, a limp. 
And so she goes to head to her kitchen. And I said, well, do you, would you like us to just join you in the kitchen? And she said, sure. So we're there. She was probably in her 80s. And I said something to her to the effect of, you must love living here with this amazing view of the sea that you have. And she turned to me and she said, I have no use for the sea. It was so intense. And she said, my sister died. She drowned in that sea when we were young. Mm. And I just thought, like, how could you look at this? I mean, I look at water and it brings me such pleasure, right? And this woman lived in this same town where her sister drowned with this incredible view of the sea that brought her nothing. But as she said, I have no use for it. It brought her agony, right? And bad memories. So this book, as I was reading this book, I could not stop thinking about that woman and how this, this, the impact of this hundred year wave had on this town and particularly this young family. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Ursula Heggie, her writing's very lyrical. It might not be for everybody, but I really enjoyed it and um, found all of the character points of view interesting and what she was trying to say poignant. Again, it was called The Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls by Ursula Heggie. Oh, yeah, you know, that's intense. And I, you know, losing people to the sea. And I think um, the book I read recently, The Deep by Katsu, mm-hmm. you know, the main character is from Ireland. And there is a lot of, I guess, fatalism, maybe, you know, and how Irish culture can be represented when it's been a seafaring family, like the sea gives you your living, but it also takes your loved ones sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have the heart to ask this woman, you know, was was your sister just out playing in the sea or was it, you know, were, were you earning your living, your family from the sea? You know, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, we live by the sea now and we know how different it can be every day and how you go out for what seems like a paddle on flat water and then the wind strikes up and everything's different. Right. Yeah. uh. Never turn your back on the sea. In fact, I was thinking I should get side view mirrors for my kayak because there have been some days when it's just, you know, I try to always look around and be mindful because sometimes storms come from the north. Sometimes they come up Mm -hmm. from the southwest and you just really don't know. And there have been times you turn around and, you know, you see these black clouds coming at you or the sea all of a sudden starts really getting wavy. And, you know, there, there was one day when that happened to me where I was trying to get back into our cove and the waves were really gaining in height. And there's that issue that happens where you could, you know, your nose of your kayak goes down and it could get swamped when the waves mm-hmm. get that high. So I had to go sideways and way out of my way then to get around. And, you know, and that's me thinking I'm pretty aware of things, right. you know, so I always right. cringe when I see people heading out in their kayaks, like when there's a small craft advisory or, you know, it's windy and there's dark clouds coming and it's just like, no, yep. don't do yep. it. But people yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. The, I always say the water wins. Mm. So be careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Um, well, I finished We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth, which I was reading last episode. It's by Jennifer Risher. And this is her first memoir. It's her first book. She is 
definitely of the 1%, somebody who is extremely wealthy, who became wealthy because she worked at Microsoft, as did her husband, and then her husband worked at Amazon in the early days. They had tens of millions of dollars. And so her book is about how money changes life. You know, everybody wants to have tons of money, but a lot of people don't, I would say most people don't understand how it changes your relationships with people, people you've had in your life, friends forever or family members, or then meeting new people. How do you handle that? Because there's one of the threads throughout is that once she had her first child and then her second, she she didn't go back to work. And that was a choice. And um, some of her friends who had worked at Microsoft and were in the same place having this sudden wealth did go back to work. And so she talks about how people make different decisions based on what they want and need. But then she's in a play group with these other women. And it was fascinating to her. And it she kind of felt like she had to hide a lot of her life because they would say the group of women who are new moms, they'd be talking about a certain stroller, you know, somebody say, Oh, my God, those are so expensive. I'd never spend that much money on a stroller when, you know, Jennifer and another woman had that stroller and didn't even think about buying it because it was not even a drop in the bucket coming to their wealth. So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting book. And I think, you know, people don't talk about money. And that's what gives money this mystique and this fear. And I, I think bashing the wealthy is something that comes easy for Americans, just like it used to be bashing fat people was acceptable. Um, ageism is still acceptable. So I sometimes wonder if money and wealthy people is going to be the one of the last things that people quit bashing and try instead to understand money and how it can help us all. Because um, she's one of those people, she did say, she's like, I don't know if billionaires should be a thing. She does believe that people who have great wealth should give it back to society. So she's one of the people who signed that pledge to give away their money. The giving pledge. The, yeah. yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting because she talks about how as they got wealthier, you know, they, they both, her, she and her husband came from middle-class families that saved their money to be able to afford things. And so that's how their giving was initially because they, they came from families who it was just like, well, we'll give you our hand-me-downs, but like, we don't have money to, to give in that way. So their giving at first was kind of small and kind of in fits and starts. And, you know, how do you do this? How do you figure out how to do it? And then it's grown as they've grown in their acceptance of the money that they have and conversations with people who have money and what to do with it. Yeah, it's a complicated, I mean, that's what the realm I work in, right? I mean, it's really hard to give money away and people guffaw when you say that, mm -hmm. but to give it, to know how to give it away, to give it away well and, you know, understand the process and not do harm, but to help, you right. know, it, it's a tricky thing. And then to figure out how to be wealthy, mm -hmm. you know, I totally get that. Yeah. I'm all for people having enough money. I'm, I would agree with her that I'm, I'm not sure that we need to have billionaires and I would like to see wealth shared a little bit more across mm -hmm. society. Yeah. But it's a complicated issue. It really is. And, um, you know, and she talks too about just how 
she fell into the trap at one point of thinking like, I'm a millionaire. Things should be easy for me. Why isn't this working out? You know, and she realizes mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, how it distorts right. her own thinking about things and mm-hmm. can contribute to poor behavior. And making your life more complex. Mm-hmm. You know, is it really helpful to have five houses? Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. You know, things like that. Yeah. 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 So at one point, they actually moved to Spain for several years and then more years than than they anticipated and found a you know a, a different way of living than the american way like she realized that in spain like sometimes people usually don't go out to dinner until like nine o'clock at night and things would start Absolutely. so late and she was still trying to be on her american system where it's like oh my god the kids need to be in bed by 8 p.m and things like that it's a memoir of her life trying to talk about wealth and i admire her for putting that out there because I think it's it's a, not an easy topic. I think, as I said before, people are so quick to judge wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are discussion questions at the end of each chapter, which I noticed sometimes had the slant of, if you had money, mm. <laughs> you know, if you had this. <laughs> so I think like it is definitely written for a middle class audience. Mm-hmm. It would be an interesting book club book, maybe. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, especially yeah, with the discussion questions. Um, anyway, interesting book. It's her first. She wants to, you know, pursue a career as a writer. So I look forward to what she might be doing in the future. That was We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth by Jennifer Risher. Seems like one that'd be good to talk about with family. So maybe people could read it as a family read. No, <laughs> never mind. Well, that's Trust one me. of the big things she talks about is family and mm-hmm. how she and her family really didn't talk about things for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. even when they knew other family members knew they had this extreme wealth, they didn't talk about other things mm-hmm. about money. Yeah. So it really they eventually had some really clear, honest, hard conversations. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It'd be it's interesting. The other book I read was called Rules for Being Dead by Kim Powers. This book is told from multiple points of view and takes place in the late 60s. The main character is Clark, who's a 10-year-old boy, and then his mother, Creola, who died and she died an untimely death in her early 40s, and she's her point of view is her as a ghost. So it's getting some comparison to the book, The Lovely Bones, which is told, you know, by the point of view of a ghost. I, I would say that's the only way reason to compare it. I didn't I didn't really see much else. And Clark wants to know how his mother died. It's a mystery. And he believes that his father is keeping the secret from him and knows what happens and won't tell him and or his father actually killed him. And one of the threads of the book is that Clark and his brother, Corey, and his mother, Creola, shared a love of going to the movies together. And as a matter of fact, they went to the movies the night before she passes away. And so there's tons of different movies mentioned throughout this book that I think people who have a fondness for for movies would love that aspect of it. And it reminded me that I used to do Friday night movie nights with my kids and Part of it was, you know, like mom's dead, mom's dead. (laughs) 
maybe I felt that way. Mom's <laughs> tired. She's waving her white flag like, I can't do another thing. We're all sitting on the couch eating pizza and watching a movie. Yeah. But the other thing that watching movies does is, you know, it, it opens areas of discussion for you to have with your kids and or just you learn life lessons by watching movies, right? Right. And Clark definitely does. He and his brother keep going to the movies even after his mother passes away. So I wanted to read this one section because he's also trying, he's investigating the murder of his mother at the same time. So he goes to the movies and he sees a double feature of Dr. No and Goldfinger. And the ticket lady lets him see it even though it says it's not suitable for young people. He talks about how Sean Connery is playing, you know, is the lead character. He takes off his clothes and puts on bathing suits and diving suits and bathrobes and towels and shows off his muscles and chest hair. He lies on a table and gets back rubs and makes pouty lips and kisses beautiful women and shoots a gun and drives a fancy car and wears tuxedos and cufflinks. He drinks martinis that are shaken, not stirred, like daddy drinks whiskey that is swallowed, not sipped. But when Sean Connery drinks, I don't mind. If I do the same things as James Bond, maybe I can catch daddy. Spy tip number one, get close to the villains so they'll think you're their friend, but you're really their enemy trying to get information out of them. Spy tip number two, get the villain drunk so they'll let down their guard and tell you things, but not remember doing it in the morning. Spy tip number three, hide a microphone in the villain's bedroom so you can hear what they say in secret, especially if they talk in their sleep. That's great. (laughs) So that gives you some insight into, you know, the role that movies play in this book, but also the, you know, the point of view of a 10 year old boy and trying to figure out the subtleties of life and the mysteries of life, Mm -hmm. which is a main thread. Um, Also, it's a lot about grief. You know, these boys have lost their mother very unexpectedly and how each of the characters handles their grief, including Criola, the mother who's, you know, a ghost looking down on her family and these boys who she didn't get to say goodbye to. Um, There's also a thread about alcoholism. The father is not going to win father of the year award. And motherhood, the bonds of family, including Clark and his brother, Corey, who suffers from epilepsy. I really enjoyed it. It was a great vacation book and and really interesting to read a book from the point of view of a 10-year-old boy. I can't say that I do that very often, and I enjoyed it. So again, Rules for Being Dead by Kim Powers. Cool. Well, I read outstanding novel that's coming out October 13th, which is the day that this episode goes live. It's called Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. And it is a fantastic historical fantasy sci-fi type novel. It starts, well, it takes place in the 1920s, early 20s in Georgia in Macon, and then with some scenes in the Atlanta area. And it is about these, it's a group of three women initially, but there is one hero of the book, Marys is her name. They're monster hunters. They're all African-American women and they're monster hunters. And they're hunting Klu Kluxes. Oh, so brilliant. So the opening scene, you don't really know what's going on. They're at the top of this building They've set a a trap to lure Ku Kluxes, and you 
something happens and I'm not going to spoil it because it's so awesome, this scene. Uh, and so you realize that, you know, they are monster hunters. They're all different. Um, so Mary's, when she was a young girl, her family was murdered and hanged by the Ku Klux Klan. And she survived by hiding underneath the floorboards. And one of her friends is a really tall woman who disguised herself as a man and fought in World War One. The other girl is, and I call her a girl, I mean, she's, I think, 19 or so. Well, no, they're all in their 20s-ish around there, late 20s to early 20s. She's a sharpshooter with her rifle. So they're kind of like the initial core. And they're, so they're hunting monsters. They're monster fighters. They're monster slayers. There's a bit of, uh, when I say the sci-fi fantasy, Marys has this sword that comes to her when she needs it. This magical sword um, that has all of the, the pain and suffering and the need for redemption that African chiefs and slave sellers and other people have the need to have redemption. So it's complicated, but really it makes so much sense when you're reading this novel. It is so friggin' creative in the way he takes the time period of the 1920s in Georgia, prohibitions going on, the Klan is having a resurgence because of uh, Griffith's movie, so he ties all of that together in just such a magical way. And it's a kick-ass story about these kick-ass women. And it's one of those you can't say too much about because you don't want to spoil anything because the unfolding of it is amazing. And I picked up on a lot of historical things and some mythological things. And I think people who are more steeped in African-American traditions and African traditions will find even more and just consider this novel a joy to read because it is in some ways a great revenge fantasy mm, yeah that sounds great so um and i'm not i wasn't familiar familiar with the writer um so p jelly clark is his pen name uh dexter gabrielle is his his real name he he's a history professor so he writes nonfiction under his his you know given name, and then his pen name for his sci-fi fantasy is uh, that P. Jelly Clark, and that Jelly or Geely, I I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's D J E with an accent mark, L I with an accent mark, and so Geely or Jelly, I've heard it pronounced both ways, is a word for West African storytellers. Oh, cool. Yeah. So his all of his uh, novels deal in some way with the the African, African-American experience, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So excellent book. If if you like history with some fantasy and sci-fi and mystery elements and horror elements, you will love this book. That's great. Yeah. Out now. Uh, yeah. Ring show. And the cover is one of the things that drew me. I thank NetGalley and the publisher for approving a an advanced reading copy. The cover is really cool looking because it's a Ku Klux Klan shaped head with eyes that you need to look at and then hands at the bottom. It's a very striking cover. Mm. 
I finished The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. This is a book that's um, long listed for the National Book Award this year, and it's out from West Virginia University Press, and I thank them for my copy. It's a book of short stories, and it the themes are vast, but really it's about the complexity of being a black woman in society and kind of an um, unforgiving look at it, you know, which I really appreciated and where you follow your heart and not necessarily the rules of society. And some of the themes, one of the main themes is infidelity. Same-sex relationships are represented, grief, and one of the stories about grief was in a, the setting of um, two people who are taking care of their family members at hospice. And it was just kind of mind blowing how people, you know, that's such a, I've done that myself with my father and it's such a difficult time and how people handle their grief. You know, you want to be living at the same time, but it's such an odd time anyway. Um, also siblings and birth order are a theme in some of the stories, um, blackness in general, you know, um, blackness within different families, your, your shade of blackness. There is a story we talked about this last time titled peach cobbler. It did not disappoint. (laughs) Really amazing story. I blew through this collection. I mean, I've, I've mentioned that I have so many short story collections and I want to get better about just having them out and picking up a story. But time and time again, I find myself like opening to the first story and reading through it. I would recommend doing that with this one. It, it was very satisfying experience. I'm curious to see how it does, you know, who will win the National Book Award. <laughs> Again, it's called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. All right. Well, the last novel I read, actually, it wasn't a novel. It was a book. Um, it wasn't. Oh, okay. I was like, huh, what does that right. mean? <laughs> so the last <laughs> book I read is a nonfiction. It's called... Sudden Sea, The Great Hurricane of 1938 by R.A. Scotty. I hadn't heard about The Great Hurricane of 1938 until I moved to Guilford. And it's a horrific storm. It was remains one of the worst natural disasters in the United States. And, and still, I saw it on a list of it remains the worst disaster Connecticut has ever had. So this book, uh, it's fantastic. Like it's up there for me with like The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Younger or Into Thin Air by John Krakow. Or like it's engaging, gripping nonfiction where you feel like you learn a lot about things you didn't really know about. Like hurricanes. I mean, I've certainly, I've been in several of them. I I used to live in North Carolina on an island um, called Emerald Isle. Uh and had experienced them down there. I've never lived directly in the path of a huge hurricane, knock on wood. (laughs) And this was only the third known hurricane to hit New England in 1938. There was a a big one in the 1600s, again in the early 1800s. And this hurricane of 1938, one reason why it killed so many people, almost 700 people died in the path of this hurricane, was that it caught New England by surprise. Mm-hmm. They didn't know it was coming. It was a storm that had been tracked down in Florida. 
And so the, the Weather Bureau was a very different animal back then. It wasn't a, really a scientific organization. The forecasters in Florida did a, a noble job of tracking it. And then when the storm moved through Florida, then the Bureau in Washington, D.C. took over and was tracking it and trying to give, you know, predictions and warnings, appropriate warnings. And unfortunately, the last update that they gave to New England was it was just going to be gale force winds, mm. which, okay, in the last two weeks here in Connecticut, we've had gale force winds. A hurricane is quite different. And so the hurricane hit Long Island first, knocked out all their communication so they couldn't warn Connecticut. When it hit Connecticut, it knocked out all their communication. They couldn't warn Rhode Island or Massachusetts. So all the way up to Canada, there was no warning because communication was knocked out. But this storm, I mean, the magnitude of it, it was definitely a Category 5 uh, they didn't name hurricanes until like 1979, so it has no name other than the Great Hurricane of 1938. But the writing is so engaging. The, the first part of the book is kind of the setup. So you learn about the history of that time period and how weather was, how they tried to predict weather. You learn about a hurricane itself, the conditions of 1938, on land and sea it's just a really for a history nerd this is a, a perfect book it really is because mm -hmm. you feel like you learn so much not just about the time period but about hurricanes as well and then when the hurricane hits it's just it's mind-blowing the stories that she shares in this book of different people you know the miracles that happened the tragedies that happened the horrific behavior of some people uh, but ships came onto land and houses went out to sea, sometimes with whole families in them. And people rode debris. And some of them ended up like separated, but then landed in the same place. Like some people in Rhode Island ended up in Connecticut. And so it's like, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. and, and one of the quotes from the book is that they'll never know the full power of the storm because all of the devices used to track wind speed were destroyed by the storm. I think wow. 186 miles was one of the last recorded speeds of the wind, mm. which is just mind blowing. And then the storm surge itself was like two or three stories high. Right. I mean, it was just unbelievable. You know, it's one of those books too, when you stop and think sometimes and it's just like, I'm so into this book. I'm so loving this book. And it's about huge tragedy. Mm -hmm. which then makes you stop and reflect. So great book. I gripped it and I, I probably finished it in like two, maybe three readings. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even bother with like my usual sticky notes, my calm sticky notes. Like I had a red pen in my hand and I was like <laughs> underlining things and exclamation points and like, wow, no way. Because it decimated the, the shoreline. It created a new shoreline actually. In mm -hmm. some areas, in some areas, like three, four hundred houses were just gone. It and didn't I know even... people walked away from their properties, too. They were like, I do not want to even deal with this property. This is, you know, it's scary to live yeah. in a place where there's going to be storms like this. And... Well, and even in, in Providence, Rhode Island, there was like mm -hmm. 18 f feet of water in downtown yeah. Providence. And people up in higher buildings were watching people get sucked away by the water. So 
all of New England was really decimated, especially uh, Rhode Island got the worst hit because they had, you know, it's so many inlets and coves and bays and everything. So there are more houses and more people at risk. Yeah, when I moved here, I didn't really understand hurricanes. I grew up in a, in tornado country, you know, and tornadoes are just fast and furious and surprising. You know, there'll be a thunderstorm and then all of a sudden you get, you know, you know what the signs of them are and then the siren will go off and all of that. And my very first summer here, which was the summer of 2015, I had gone away and I came home and they said, oh, there's a, a hurricane watch. And I said, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what that means because they'll say, you know, a hurricane could be coming in six days. It's like the, the whole waiting and wondering about hurricanes is so stressful to me. And then you watch them up the coastline and it's wind and water. So it changes directions and morphs. And yeah, you know. and even to this day, that's one of the things I mean, this book was, what was it from 2003, I believe. I don't think this has changed that they really can't predict hurricanes still mm-hmm. more than like yeah. 24 hours out. And even that they change so much. And You know, she was saying, you know, the whole butterfly wing thing, like they can track so much of a hurricane, but the smallest things can change it. And those smallest things they can't track, Mm -hmm. not even with all of the great technology we have these days. But one of the things about the wind, I mentioned we've had gale force winds here a couple times this week. And like I was on a walk and I felt like my face was being sandblasted because a gust would come with the the sand in it. And it was like, ow. There are two sisters in this book who were allergic to, or really reactive to poison ivy, poison oak. And they were ill for weeks from it because the wind was so powerful, it blew the oils into their body. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah. just like, oh, my God, from the biggest things to the smallest things like that, this book was just full of shocking information and fascinating and fun information, too. But I, I think I have to get that one for the gentleman caller. Oh, he would yeah. love it. Yeah. I mean, yes. this yeah. I and I was sad to see I, I looked up the author. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2010. Mm-hmm. She was only 66 and she died of breast cancer. But fantastic book. And I want people who are history buffs or into hurricanes to read it because they will really enjoy it. And I was even thinking, I know it's only October, but the holiday season is swooping down on us rather quickly. And maybe since this was more of a regional read, people around the country, it might be a good gift idea for the history buff in your life Mm -hmm. as a really good engaging read. So again, that was... Sudden Sea, The Great Hurricane of 1938 by R.A. Scotty. And then I read like five short stories. So let me just list those real quick because they were all really interesting and all really different. I'm just going to go down in in order of how I read them. And one of the reasons I'm reading short stories is NaNoWriMo is in November, which is National Novel Writing Month. And so this year I'm challenging myself to write short stories instead of a novel so i'm kind of putting myself through a bit of a short story boot camp and reading more short stories i've read some new ones and a couple well two old favorites so i read a new england nun by mary wilkins freeman which is a fantastic short story with such vivid characters it's from 1891 
I read a William Faulkner short story called Dry September. I'm not a Faulkner fan. I've never been able to get into his novels. And this short story was in the Penguin Book of Horror Stories, which I've been reading through. And it is, so it's in this horror story collection, but it is about a lynching, a mob situation, a small mob that happens when a white woman accuses a black man of having raped her. And there's one scene where the, there's two white characters who are yelling at each other and they look, the narrator says, like they come from different races. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting in terms of what hatred does to people, making them seem like they are from different races. And it tied in with the, the novel Ring Shout that I read about the Ku Kluxes which are one thing, and the clans, which are other things in that novel. The other short story I read was Good Enough by Shuli K. Wood. And that is a new collection that just came out in 2020, which I've been kind of saving for the right time. And now is the right time. And that one is about a, a man who lives next door to a woman who is a widower who moves in. And it, it wasn't what I was expecting at all, but um, I really like the characterizations and the relationship exploration of that. I read an Edgar Allan Poe story that I'd never read before called The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. Had you ever heard of that one? Mm -mm. I mean, I've never heard of that Poe story, and it, that was one that was in the Penguin Book of Horror Stories. It was written in 1845, and it's about a guy who tries to mesmerize a person at the point of death mm. and mesmerizes like hip hypnosis. It was right. Big movement in the 19th century. And I guess when it was first published, it wasn't listed as like fiction. So some people thought it was a true tale. And then the other last short story I read was from 1820. So even earlier, and that was the legend of sleepy hollow by Washington Irving. Which wow. I don't remember. Like, I was just like, wow, I feel like this is the first time I'm reading this because I know I read it a long time ago, but it was completely not what I remembered. And that was one I picked up um, because I had a related Biblio adventure. Well, let's just jump right into Biblio adventures. All right. Well, I'll just keep talking. I watched The Legend of Sleepy Hollow movie the 1999 Tim Burton film. I was looking around for something to watch one night that was kind of scary. And that one was one that came up and I thought, oh, I'm not really a Johnny Depp fan. I really enjoyed it for the most part. So it starred Johnny Depp and Christina Rich Ricci. And a bunch of- I think of it's Ritchie. Ritchie, I think it's okay. Christina Ricci. Who won an Oscar, I believe, for Best Actress. Or she won mm. an award from somebody. It may not have been an an Oscar. I know it did win the Oscar for like best art direction because the film, the setting, the, the costumes, everything looked really great. Like they built this little village and, mm -hmm. and that, that looked really good. I enjoyed that part of it very much, but they really changed a lot of the story. So it's not like a really straightforward adaptation. The Johnny Depp character, um, Ichabod Crane, who is in the short story, is a school teacher and in the movie they made him into kind of a detective who goes from manhattan 
they're trying to kind of get rid of him because he's trying to initiate, you know, detective techniques at a time when they just want to torture bad the bad guy, you know. They don't want to <laughs> really investigate anything. So he's sent to Sleepy Hollow, which is an actual town along the Hudson in New York, to investigate this situation where people have been having their heads cut off. There is a headless horseman involved. There are some other elements of the short story involved. It's a pretty decent movie. It's kind of gory at times. You know, those headless people, they can be kind of gory. Watch it at your own (laughs) risk. There's also this tree of life thing or the gateway to hell tree, which is also something that shows up in Ring Shout. There's a magical tree in that book, too. So I just love when you have stories where there's this cross pollination seemingly happening, at least in your mind. Right. (laughs) So that was one of my Biblio adventures. How about you? Well, I did attend, and I'm using air quotes, the American Dream, Whose Myth, Whose Reality, um, sponsored through the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. But I have to admit, I was driving in the car at the time. This was during the week where I was in complete moving mayhem. (laughs) But I was committed to just, if nothing else, hearing, you know, what they were talking about. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the moderator. He was someone that either works maybe for the Dayton Literary Peace Museum or or Dayton Peace Museum or I, I don't know. But anyway, the thing that really stuck with me was both men, I should say it was with Min Jin Lee and Viet Thanh Nguyen, and they were talking about being immigrant children. Their families, both of their families fled to this country. Min's was from South Korea and Nguyen's was from Vietnam. And how they didn't ever perceive that their life in America would necessarily be the American dream that those of us born here imagine. And they always thought what happened to them in their countries of origin could easily happen here. And so Min told the story about 9-11. When 9-11 happened in the United States and the Twin Towers fell, she was living 10 blocks from it at the time. And she said she was ready to flee within minutes. She had a go bag. She had everything she needed. She had her passport. She had money. She had, you know, whatever it is you put in a go bag. And it wasn't a surprise to her, you know, Mm -hmm. because she lived with this family knowledge that this happens, things happen to families and to people that are not planned. And that was one of the main takeaways for me. They talked about many other things, but honestly, I was so spent at that point. I don't recall it, but that was a real takeaway. And one of the other things they said in relation to that go bag idea, and I don't mean to be a doomsdayer or a naysayer or even get too political, but you know, they wanted, they both wanted to make it very clear that that could easily happen in America. And anybody who thinks it can't is living a dream that is not the American dream. It's just a dream. You are living in a dream world. And both made it clear the importance of voting in the upcoming election. Yeah, right. Those were the two big takeaways for me. And, you know, it was done via the event was done using Eventbrite, which I think is a good platform for signing up and everything. But then they did send a Zoom link. So I was able to call while driving, which was not the best for really 
you know, taking in the information that they were talking about. But yeah, um, I did enjoy listening to them nonetheless. That sounds good. And that's that's a powerful reminder, you know, that it can happen here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's one of the things authoritarians prey upon is people's belief, their dreams, their denial of what can happen and what is happening. Powerful stuff. So voting yeah. is so important. Yeah. Or just being lost in the comfort of our own lives. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of denial. That is a quote from my therapist that has been swirling around my head for months now. (laughs) (laughs) And I I had one other Biblio adventure in real life, which was when we were in Wellfleet, we did don masks and we stopped in quickly to Heritage Books in Wellfleet, which is a used and new bookstore, mostly used. Sadly, if I had awards to hand out, I would hand out an award for crabbiest bookseller. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I know we're all living in a tricky time and I'm sure wearing a mask all day is not fun. But any question I had, she was incredibly reluctant to answer. <laughs> and I didn't have many. But we did buy, thank you to the gentleman caller, my buddy Jim, he bought me two Mary Oliver books. Mary Oliver spent a lot of time in Cape Cod and is very present in the bookstores there. So we got um, two little books of poetry, one called Felicity and one called A Thousand Mornings. Um, I posted about this on our social media and a lot of people mentioned like they really want to start reading poetry, but you know, they put these books on their bookshelves and never read them. And my hack for reading poetry is to put poetry books all over the house, mm-hmm. you know, put them on your coffee tables, your nightstands in your you know bathroom, if that's one thing you enjoy and just pick it up. And you, the great thing about poetry is you can just open a page and read, you know, it's not, you don't have to go page by page. And that, when I do that, you know, we have Wendell Berry sitting around and Mary Oliver and Naomi Nihab, Shihab Nye and, you know, some of my other favorites and just every once in a while, pick up a book and read a poem. It always feels good. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's, I had a, um, a biblio, a couch biblio adventure. Actually, it was more of a on a walk biblio adventure <laughs> on being the podcast, um, with Krista Tippett. Mm-hmm. Um, she replayed an interview she did with Mary Oliver. That was really mm-hmm. great. And this is after, um, Oliver moved down to Florida in her, her, um, final years. So that was a really interesting interview to listen to. And that was, again, on being. It was September 3rd that that episode posted. And I just listened to it. Maybe when you and Jim were buying the book is when I was listening to it. You know, book cougars connected. Mind meld. Yeah, <laughs> mind meld. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to, if, if I could, read a Mary Oliver. Just oh, a quick do. one. It seemed so appropriate. It's called Today. Today I'm flying low and I'm not saying a word. I'm letting all the voodoos of ambition sleep. The world goes on as it must. The bees in the garden rumbling a little. The fish leaping. The gnats getting eaten and so forth. But I'm taking the day off. Quiet as a feather. I hardly move, though really I'm traveling a terrific distance. 
Stillness, one of the doors into the temple. Mm, beautiful. That poem oh helps me so much because last week on vacation, I couldn't move. I mean, there were a couple days where I just couldn't move. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't look at my phone, which was such a gift. And when I saw that poem, I was like, yes, yeah. stillness. This is it. I love that. The voodoos of ambition. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mary Oliver. Well, I had one more Biblio adventure, and that was through the Village Preservation Society of um, the Village down in New York. It was Edith Wharton's Village, presented by tour guide Carl Raymond, and it was another great event by them. They have such amazing tour guides, and uh, he had some fabulous slides of different houses that Wharton had lived in and neighborhoods and gardens that were planned in these newer neighborhoods of, of New York. And, you know, he really brought home how small New York was back then, you know, that her New York was just a matter of blocks, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know that much about Edith Wharton, she was the first woman to win a Pulitzer and one thing I didn't know was that she'd also been nominated for a Nobel three times. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, did not win it. Um, but after 1911, she was mainly in France and, and did not come back to the United States other than, I think, twice for different family engagements. But it was really good. And he recommended a biography in the Q&A section. It's a young adult biography, but he said it's excellent reading for adults as well. And it's one of the better biographies of her that he's come across. It's The Brave Escape of Edith Wharton by Wooldridge. And that came out in 2010. And I did snag a copy from the library. So I'm looking forward to reading that. That sounds great. I love um, biographies that are for YA. Mm -hmm. I think they're great. They yeah. just get to the point, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to upcoming upcoming adventures oh sorry oh, you say it go yeah, ahead you know that was great okay <laughs> like i cut you off you were no. like pointing. <laughs> i was pointing i was doing like the i don't know what i was doing directing a plane <laughs> <laughs> well we have a joint junk coming up on october 17th of the hashet book club brunch i have to say one of the things they did was they sent out a book that's kind of like everyone can read the book so that you have a, a book club of sorts to talk about the same book. And it's called Nick and it's by Michael Ferris Smith. And I have to say, this is coming out in January of 2021. I DNF'd it. Oh, really? Yeah. Do not care for it. So it takes a lot for me not to finish a book. I'm shocked that this is what they picked. I'm hopeful that once they talk about it, maybe I'll want to pick it back up again. You know how that mm. happens. Yeah. Well, it's but, Nick from The Great Gatsby, right? Like, isn't it a yeah. retelling of all that? Yeah. Or I'm not sure if it's a retelling or if it's his life before his time mm. that's represented in The Great Gatsby. I'm not sure. I'm not a huge Gatsby aficionado. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not going to read The Great Gatsby to give myself, <laughs> reread, I should say, <laughs> The Great Gatsby to give myself inspiration maybe to go read this one. But I'm seeing very mixed reviews about it as okay. well so. all right have you well, started it i have no. not it's 
it's the next thing on my list it's i'm just i just looked over my shoulder it's behind me right there glaring at me now (laughs) (laughs) you might love it i hope you do and if you do text me and i'll pick it back up (laughs) we'll see i don't you know as as we both said we don't have a lot of tolerance for books that aren't grabbing us these days yeah 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 yeah. And then the only other one I have, I've mentioned already, but it's um, on October 20th, Alice Hoffman in conversation with Anne Leary, 9 p.m. Eastern time via Powell's Books out in Portland. Nice. Well, I wanted to give a pitch. This is not involving books per se, but it is involving the written word being performed. Um, and that is my wife, Laura, is part of an organization called TAW, the Theater Artist Workshop. And they are having their fall fundraiser. And the title is The Twilight Zone. Because Theater Artist Wing is Taw, uh, not Artist Wing Workshop. So The Twilight Zone. It's a virtual benefit production of short works. And Laura does have a play in, in this that was accepted. So that's very exciting. It's only $14. It premieres October 28th at 8 p.m. It's online, it's virtual. And then you can view it, though, through November 1st at 8 p.m. So you don't have to necessarily watch the premiere. You could watch it anytime over those days. That's awesome. I'm glad they're doing that. Yes. That gives people time. Yeah, well, we'll put all the information in the show notes. Yeah, it should be um, fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The website is taworkshop.org. And we'll, as Emily said, put the link in the show notes. Well, I only have one upcoming read, and it's called Accidentals, and it's a novel by Susan M. Gaines. We got this book. The Cougars got this book um, from Tory House Press. Thank you. It has a lot of um, environmental and bird themes to it, so I'm okay. looking forward to that. And it takes place, I believe, in Uruguay. Oh, so okay. more to come on that. Yeah, it has this great cover. Can you see it with an ostrich? Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Nice. What about you? Well, other than that neck that is now maybe going to go down (laughs) a little bit further on my list, I have two that I'm really excited about. Um, One is a book that I knew about, but I kind of, it kind of got off my radar. And one of our friends on social media, Kim, asked if we were aware of Shadow Play by Joseph O'Connor. And this is a vampire type novel where, you know, people from Bram Stoker's life, like Bram Stoker's a character in it, as is um, Henry Irving, which was, you know, the great actor that Bram Stoker managed. Um, and some other real life characters are in here. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Like I said, I'd heard about it before it came out, put it on my Goodreads TBR and then promptly forgot about it. So thank you, Kim, for pointing it out. It was a finalist in the Costa Book Award, but this is, it's from Europa and it's a hardcover. Hmm, I didn't know Europa unusual. did hardcovers. Yeah. So. Well, no, I think I did know that because they do that. Um, I'm trying to think of what that series is. It's already out in the third book. I can't think of it, but that's hardcover. Hmm. That was helpful. Well, yeah. you know, just so you know, this is, Kim is the same Kim as the author rules for being dead. Kim Powers. Awesome. I totally didn't make that connection. Thank you. 
and then the other book is one that's I don't think it's even out yet I think it comes out later in October but I had requested it from the library and it came in so they told me to come pick it up which I did it's a young adults anthology called vampires never get old tales with fresh bite (laughs) (laughs) you're getting your October read on Yes, I am. I love reading scary stories this time of year. Anyway, Vampires Never Get Old is edited by Zoraida Cordova and Natalie C. Parker. Those are the two that I'm into uh, or looking forward to, I should say. Right on. So we've been chatting up a storm, Emily. I I think we're over an hour at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Chris has to go. She's got to go edit. Well, it's so great to talk with you again. I feel like it's been months. I know it's only been a week or two since we last talked and saw each other. Great to see you. It's great to chat books as always. Yeah. And if nothing else, we'll be on the same party line on Saturday at the Hachette Book Club brunch. So I, know. I look forward to that. If I'm sure we will speak before. Me too. We'll have to text on the side. That's right. <laughs> I'm very curious if you read Nick. Please do keep me apprised this week. I will. I'll definitely give it a try. Yeah. You might love it. It's got, you know, war theme and all that. So we'll see. Okay. There was a little too much trenches for me. Yeah. See, that's one of the things people don't really think about Great the Great Gatsby a lot is that it is a, a novel that came out of World War One. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. Nick Carraway is a veteran of mm-hmm. that war. So... So this is good, taking you back to to Nick's previous days, yes. huh? Okay. Yeah. It's like a prequel, I guess, might be the best way to say it. Okay. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Yes, and we wish you much happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.